So she and her husband co-pastored their church, Oasis LA, out in California. And um, I met her, Derek and I met her um, a few years back at one of the ARC conferences, the Association of Related Churches that you've heard my husband talk about. And um, she, she wanted to be a part of what God was doing in New England. And she came up and she was like, y'all are from Boston? I want to come to Boston. I want to be a part of something that God's doing up there. And I was like, well, I'm going to ask you now. Come up to Boston. So here she is with us. And um, she is just an awesome, down-to-earth, like she was a former soap opera movie star. And I know you think of like, you know, well, hello there. Oh, no, she's not like that. <laughs> she is so down-to-earth. And it's so, she's so funny. Um, and she has a powerful message. If it's anything like it was yesterday, you're going to walk out of here feeling like you can conquer the world. So I want to offer up Holly Wagner to you. So if you would give her a warm Boston welcome. We are so glad you're here. Thank you. <laughs> Hi. Wait. Okay, everybody stand up. Everybody stand up. Come on, wake up. This is a 9 a.m. for Pete's sake. How you doing? Are you good? Everybody had their coffee today? Great. Take a look at that person next to you. Just look at them. Look at the other one like your second choice. Okay, they need prayer, don't they? Or a miracle. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to just pray, but really you're going to be praying for that person next to you. So if you want to touch them, you can, like gently, but don't freak them out. Okay. <laughs> Father, I thank you so much for this amazing person I'm standing next to. And I thank you, God, that your kingdom come, your will is done in their life. I ask, God, that you would bless them. Bless them from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet. And I thank you, God, that they sense your favor in their life, that they walk in your peace. I thank you, God, that no weapon formed against them will prosper. And I just thank you, God, for them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, high five. Have a seat. Well, I am so honored to be here. And uh, gosh, you guys have the most interesting weather in a 24-hour period. <laughs> I love it already. It's like we don't have humidity in Southern California, so... You know, you walk out, I walked out today and went, my hair is not going to do what I started it doing. Uh, it's great. But I love being here. Thank you so much, Stacey and Derek, for having me. Um, you have some really great pastors. You know that, right? And I'm just, real deal, genuine people. I love, I love church. I love being in church. So yay for you for being here too. And as she mentioned, uh, my husband, Philip, and I, Pastor Oasis Church in Los Angeles, kind of between Beverly Hills and Hollywood, you know, real quiet part of town, nothing really exciting happens there. And um, we've been doing that for 31 years. We started in a home Bible study and just uh, watched what God has done over the years, and it's uh, been exciting. Our church is um, about 60, a little over 60% single, so if you need a date, come see us. Um, and about 75% uh, of our church are in the 20s and 30s, so a bunch of young people. So I just want to assure you, God is moving in Los Angeles, all right? God is moving in, in L.A. And uh, we just did this uh, survey in our church and found that about, there's 20, it's 22% uh, Caucasian, 22% African-American, 22% Hispanic, 17% Asian, and then the rest of them just are mixed and married in there. So it's very multicultural, which you would expect in L.A., but sadly, not a lot of churches are in L.A. So we are pretty awesome and exciting. And I have two kids. Uh, my son is 28, and he's, uh, I like him now. And my, 
my daughter's 23, and she's actually with me here. She's hanging out in the back room at the moment, and, and uh, she's, she knows everything. Anybody have one of those in your world? They have it all figured out. Yeah, so she's, uh, she came with me because she just graduated from university and now is thinking about grad school at Harvard, really. Um, so we have an interview there tomorrow because she knows everything. So anyway, so I'm excited to be here with you. And, um, you know, I don't know if you remember where you were January 17th, 1994. Some of you weren't even born. Just shut up now. Um, <laughs> But actually, I'll never forget, because at 4.45 in the morning, I was rudely awakened by about a 7.5 earthquake. Our home in Los Angeles was at the epicenter of the earthquake. And um, the, the, the earth started moving, the shaking was violent, and, I, and, I, and in L.A., when, you know, or in an earthquake, when the earth moves like that, it kind of creates a sonic boom as well. So then it sounds like a bomb's going off and dishes are flying. Uh, you know, I could hear dishes crashing on the tile floor. So the noise was horrible. The alarm, we all have an alarm in LA. So the alarm system's going off. So all of this noise. And then the, all the power went out. It's obviously dark outside, but then all the power went out. And in the city, so there's not even ambient city light. I can't see my hand in front of my face. It is so dark. And I sit up in bed and I yell out, no, which did absolutely nothing. And then my husband said, Holly, you go get, you know, um, Jordan and I'll get Paris. At this time, our, my son was like six and my you know, daughter was two, so they were little. And now really what you're supposed to do in an earthquake of, of certainly of this size is you're, you're supposed to stay still until, the earth, you know, when, until it gets still. Well, I'm a mama. You don't stay still when you got to get your babies. So I get out of the bed and the earth is shaking and still all this noise. And so I start walking around the bed and a, and a dresser that had my clothes and it kind of fell, flew, flew across the room and hit my legs. And, and so now I'm crawling down the hall and, and in the morning I would find out I'd crawled over glass because pictures had fallen off the floor. And I would, in the morning when the sun came up, I would find that I had blood all down my legs. But again, you don't feel it when you're in that moment, do you? So I get to my son's door and I can't open it. Something had fallen on the inside and I can't open it. I'm trying to open it and I say, Jordan, Jordan. And from the inside I hear, mom, chill out. <laughs> well, open this door. So somewhere between his scrawny little arms and my massive biceps, we managed to push open that door. And so I grab him and now we're standing in a door frame which is what you're supposed to do. And I can hear that Philip has Paris, my daughter, in there. And then the first aftershock hits. Now, the first aftershock in an earthquake of that magnitude is another earthquake. It's massive. So we're holding onto this doorframe, which where you're supposed to be, which I have no idea why, but you are. So we're standing here, and then Philip yells, we have to get out of the house. I'm like, good idea. And so we begin our walk to get downstairs. We pass our bedroom. And as we pass our bedroom, I go in and, you know, grab the comforter off the bed because, whoa, it's like 65 degrees outside. And um, <laughs> we're going to be freezing in January. So do you all hate me right now? Okay. So grab that comforter and we work our way down the stairs and we get outside. And, and so now I'm outside. Again, can't see anything. It is so dark. And so we're sitting out there on the front lawn, and now I hear 
explosions. And so there are houses in the area that their gas hadn't been turned off and so started exploding. So now there's burning embers flying above, you know, above us. And I start thinking, you know what? Everything that's important to me is right here under this blanket. And then in the morning, we would open the door. When the sun came up, then I opened the door and walked in the house, and there were things everywhere. You know, the refrigerator had totally shifted. The, the microwave had flown into the other room, and, and it, there was nothing in place where it should walk. The, the, the big light fixture had crashed through windows. So a bunch, of, a bunch of damage. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in an earthquake like that, and I uh, certainly hope you don't have to do that. But what I do know is that all of us at some point will face shaking, dark moments. We will all have moments in our life when we feel like we can't see our hand in front of our face, when we don't know what to do. And what I have learned is that the decisions we make in those moments, when it's dark and shaky and storms are raging against our life, the decisions we make in those moments often determine where we are when the light comes on, determines where we are at the end of it. We're all going to have some midnight times in our life. And so many people that I know, now none of you here because you're perfect, I'm aware of, but so many people I know mess up their lives because they make stupid decisions in the middle of the shaky, dark times. And I just suggest that you and I, as sons and daughters of the king, that we have an obligation to navigate storms well. We have an obligation to get it right because there are hurting people looking to us. Acts 27 in the New Testament tells the story of the Apostle Paul. And at this point, he is a prisoner and he is on a ship, on a cargo ship actually, with some other, with, with a prison guard and some other soldiers. He's on this ship and he's headed to Rome. He has petitioned to go before Caesar, so he is now headed to Rome. And he's, so he's on this ship. And as he's on this, this ship headed to Rome, well, it says in uh, verse 27 that at one point it was 14th night in the middle of a storm. So, a t and this kind of storm was almost like a typhoon storm. They sailed a little later than they should have. And so this was gale force winds attacking the ship. And it was 14 days of this ship being tossed to and fro. It was dark. It was cloudy. It was horrible. It was midnight in the middle of their storm. Now the end of the story, because I always like to know the ending. The end of the story is that they all survived. But they survived because Paul made some great decisions that actually got them there. So I just want to take a look at some of the decisions that Paul made, and perhaps we can learn from them so that when we're in the middle of our shaky, dark times, anybody ever had a shaky, dark time? Listen, anybody in one right now? And here's the thing. If you're not in one right now, yours is next week because that's how life is. Right? I wish I could tell you that life was mountaintop, 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 heaven, but it isn't like that right? It's mountaintop valley, mountaintop valley. But do you know what I've learned? Is that fruit doesn't grow in the mountaintops. Fruit grows in the valleys. So if you're in the middle of a challenge in a storm right now, be of good cheer. You too can get through this. So let's take a look at some of what Paul had them do. All right, the first thing is we, he, 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 he says to them, you actually have to engage some support mechanisms in your life. You have to brace up your mind. Acts 27, verse 17, it says, Then the sailors bound ropes around the hull of the ship to strengthen it. 
Basically, what they were doing was putting ropes under the ship to keep the ship together. This is something in the sailor's terms called frapping. And it, the, in order to protect the hull of the ship, they were taking ropes to, and taking it under the hull of that ship. Now, I'm glad that wasn't my job. Right? It's a storm. Somebody's got to jump off of the boat, go under, somehow tie off a rope on the other side. So this was not a fun job, but what they were doing was bracing up the hull of that ship. And so, because ropes were our support mechanism for it. So I'm thinking what you and I need to do in the middle of a storm, and First Peter, it tells us, it says, brace up your minds, be sober, morally alert, set your hope wholly unchangeably on the grace that's coming to you when Jesus is revealed. So basically, you and I, in the middle of the challenge, in the middle of the storm, we have to brace up our minds. And do you know what you brace your minds up with? The truth of God's word. You have to renew your mind to the truth. Romans 12.2 says that we're transformed when our mind is renewed. Not actually when circumstances change, but we're transformed when our mind is renewed. And the deal about renewing your mind is we have to renew our mind to the truth, which is not always the facts. See, the fact is maybe you've gotten a bad report from a doctor. Ten years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. So admittedly, that's a very bad doctor's report. That's the fact. But the truth is 1 Peter 2.24, which says he was wounded so that I could be made healed. The truth is in Exodus, it says we serve a God who's taken sickness from the midst of us. Maybe your marriage is at a dark moment. And honestly, if you've been married longer than 10 minutes, you've had one of those, right? <laughs> but the truth is Hebrews 13.4, marriage is honorable among all. The truth is Proverbs 5, my husband is rejoicing with me, the cute young thing of his youth. I made some of that up. Or maybe you have a child, just isn't doing great. Just kind of wandered off, perhaps, or making some really strange decisions. That might be the fact, but the truth in Isaiah 44 says, God will pour out his spirit upon our offspring and blessing on our descendants, and they will rise and say, I am the Lord. Or maybe financial challenges or you have job issues. What does the truth of his word say? What does the truth say? Philippians 1 says, he who began this good work, he will finish it. What does the truth of God's word say? You can renew your mind to the truth or you can allow yourself to get freaked out by the facts. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In the message translation that says, The word of God is the light that guides us home in the dark. So again, you can look at the facts and freak out or we can choose to renew our mind to the truth. Now for us, you know, we had to face, after that earthquake, we had to, face this over the next few days. There were about, within the first, I don't know, days, weeks, first weeks, I guess, there was about 3,000 aftershocks. So that means my earth was never still. It was always doing this. And there's this thought that, you know what, um, is this going to be the one, you know, where Arizona becomes beachfront property right here? You know, because every time you would, so I had to really fight fear because everything would trigger something in me. And so I had to go, no, no, no. Okay, that's the facts. But the truth is, Psalm 118, the Lord is on my side, and I will not fear. Psalm 91 tells me I will not be afraid of the terror of night because I dwell in the secret place of the Most High God. We have to choose. You have to choose what you're going to do with your thoughts. Do you know what? You can't always choose the first thought that comes racing through your head. But you can the second one. And you can certainly choose what you dwell on. 
have to renew your mind to the truth. And then the other support mechanism, okay, the first one is just, you know, the renewing your mind to the truth. And the other one is each other. We're supposed to be a support mechanism. We're supposed to be a help to one another. But you know what? We can only really do that if we stay connected to the house of God. If in the middle of a challenge or a struggle, you choose to go off and isolate yourself, then honestly, we all lose. Because your strength and our strength comes when we stay connected to one another. We're going to need each other in the middle of rough times. So in order to have the relationships that you need in the middle of the challenging times, that means you have to be building them all the time, right? Make sure that you're continually building them. Don't just wait till you're in trouble. Get yourself in a connect group. Connect in with people. Do life with people. Support each other. We need each other. Now, I'm aware that this can be hard because, you know, getting along with each other because, come on, let's face it, we're just different. We're different from each other. I mean, and the person behind you is so weird, right? So, you know, can, it makes it challenging. <laughs> you know, there have been a lot of studies done over the years about the different personality types and, and every, you know, none of us are all one personality type. We're uniquely created and kind of a mixture of a few of them. But, you know, some of the basic ones are, there's the, the party people. These are the confetti-throwing, loud, fast-talking, energetic, you know. They are great at starting things, not so good at finishing them. Unless it's your sentences, they'll finish those, right? So there's those people, and then there's the ducks in a row people. Their favorite verse would be decently and in order, and they, they only underline in their Bible with a straight edge. Um, these are the people that invented whiteout and spell check because they care, right? And their desks are amazing works of art and it's awesome. Now, amazingly organized and awesome and we need them on the team because the first group of party people would have a great time, but they wouldn't even think about a budget, right? So we need each other. But this, you know, the ducks in a row person, sometimes their challenge is that they, because they want things to be perfect and life is never perfect, then they can tend toward depression. And then there's the people who are just the goal-driven people. I got plans, I got goals. They often have a crease right here because <laughs> everything's intense. And when they walk into a room, you can hear them. You know, it's like noise. They got a plan. And they talk, do this and this and vision. And again, awesome there. Now, you know, if you get in their way, you might get stomped on. It's not because they have bad intention. They just are headed somewhere. And we need these people because, again, the party people would have fun, the ducks in a row people would be fixing everything, but we would be going nowhere. <laughs> right? So we need each other. And then there's another personality type that's just sweet. They're just sweet. <laughs> They're just kind. They're just peaceful. These are the ones when you say, what do you want to do? I don't know, whatever you want to do. Right? They're not going to rock the boat. Just, they make great counselors because they'll listen to your story again. Right? They, have, they, they make great counselors. They're compassionate and, and kind and sympathetic. And Now, they also don't like change. They, like, what's wrong with the color of the carpet? I like it. And if you're going to change it, you've got to give them, like, a month's notice. And are, yeah, so we, 
but we need these people. Because for me, I'm kind of the party in a bottle driven kind of person. And, and if I, these people, is that a shock to you? And um, <laughs> so we need these peaceful people because here's what happens on my team is like sometimes I'm so excited about where we're going and, and the plans and let's march ahead. And so the, the peaceful people and calm people on my team, they often come up behind me going, she didn't mean it. She didn't mean it. She didn't mean it. She didn't mean it. <laughs> because I've hurt people's feelings unintentionally. Right, so we need each other. And it's so fun, we can laugh about the differences right here, but actually doing life with people can make it a challenge, right? But we need each other. You are not, the, you are not created and designed to do life alone. And if you try, you will fail. That's how it works. And so God has designed it so that we're a part of a family, a team, a community, a church. And when you're part of a church, you have to learn to navigate the differences and navigate the relationships and navigate personalities and backgrounds and cultures. And it makes all of us stronger. Your, your best support will come from here in this room. In the middle of a challenge, we're supposed to support each other. We are not in battle alone. You know, all of the elite fighting forces, whether it's, you know, the Green Berets or the Navy SEALs or the SAS, they're never deployed alone. They're sent out in a unit. And in, like in the SEAL team units, you have somebody who's the communications guy, somebody's the guy that gets to blow stuff up, and somebody's the medic, and they all have a job. And none of them are bugged that they don't have the other job. The medic isn't going, oh, it's my turn to be the sniper. No. <laughs> they're, they're all grateful for the role they have. They're all great at the role they have, and they know their contribution makes the team stronger. So you've each been entrusted with gifts and abilities and talents and a personality, and it's to make us better. It's to make us stronger. So don't let where you're different separate you from the rest of the team. Enjoy those differences. You know, the personality, the ages, gifts. See, I think our job as followers of Jesus in the house of God is actually to make the house of God a place where the hurting are welcomed and loved. One of my favorite stories takes place in 1 Kings, and it's about the Queen of Sheba. And the Queen of Sheba heard about the wisdom of King Solomon. So he's the, the Hebrew king, and she had heard about the wisdom of King Solomon. She had heard about this magnificent house of God that he had built, this temple that he had built, and she had heard about his wisdom and this temple, and she didn't believe any of it. She thought, ah, people are exaggerating. So she makes this very long trip to come visit King Solomon and the temple, the house of God that he had built. And the Bible tells us that when she walked into the house of God, it says her breath was taken away. And it says her breath was taken away for a few things. One was because the happy people serving. She saw happy people in the house of God. Come on, let me see your happy face. I won't ask for happy feet, just happy face. <laughs> so she was, you know, her breath was taken away by his wisdom, by the happy people serving, by the excellence that she saw in people serving in the house of God. See, I think we have a responsibility, church, to create such an environment in the house of God so that when the lost and the hurting come in, they go, oh, I don't want to go anywhere. This is home. 
But see, if they come in here and they encounter the same apathy, the same critical spirit, the same tension that they do at their workplace and at their life out there, why would they be here? See, this is different culture. We're changing the culture. So we have to be different. We have to communicate love in a genuine, real way. We have to be kind to one another. We have to be embracing of where we're different so that when they walk in, they just go, oh, this is home. A few months ago, we had, um, on a Saturday is when we do a lot of our community outreach and different things happen. So on a Saturday in our church, there's so many things happening at the same time. There's teams going to convalescent homes and, and kids things and cleaning up blocks and you know, tons of things happening. But there's also a lot of things happening in our own building. So we offer English as a second language with a few different languages and um, tutoring kids. So a lot of things happening. So our building is very busy on a Saturday. So this one day, this woman uh, who was uh, Middle Eastern and dressed like a Middle Eastern woman, you know, Muslim, she walks by our church building and she just hears laughter and she hears noise. And so she just walks in. And now this is Saturday, okay? She walks in, there's different tables in different areas where they're, you know, working with different people to learn to speak English. And so she doesn't speak very good English. And so she walked in. And she just kind of stood there for a minute. And then she sat at one of the tables. And then, um, now at this point, we didn't have English as a second language for someone who spoke Farsi. Since then, we now do, but we didn't. And so she was working at the table, people who spoke Spanish learning English. And so you can see her, you know, trying to figure this out. And there's laughter and, you know, people working it out. And so she sits there. And then um, by the end of it, she... She has a Bible, and she opens it, and she looks at the person leading the group, and she said, Jesus, I want Jesus. What happened there? She walked into the house of God and encountered happy people, loving each other, loving God, and she made a decision to follow him. Nothing, there was no teaching that happened. No pastor, no worship team on the platform. Just somebody walking into the house of God. Now the next Sunday, she comes to church and she comes up to me and she said, Pastor, Jesus, best for women. Because she had been in a culture where she wasn't valued. She says, me, baptize. When you're, when you're, yeah, praise God. Now we have a Farsi English as a second language group. But um, so when you're in the middle of a challenge, in the middle of the storm, the enemy will want to separate you, don't you dare. You stay connected to the house of God because it's not just about you. You're a part of a team, a family, a community that's designed to influence culture. So make sure that you are here. Isaiah 43 says, when you pass through the waters and the storm, I am with you. God is with you in the middle of this challenge. You know, and there's a, another one of my favorite scriptures. It says in 2 Corinthians 2.14, says in the message translation, it says, in the Messiah, in Christ, God leads us from place to place in one perpetual victory parade. Doesn't mean 
that we don't experience hardship. It doesn't mean that we won't encounter storms or our earth won't shake. But what he's saying here is that even in the midst of that, I am the conquering general. I will lead you in this parade. Jesus paid the price for us. We can follow him in this parade. So I started thinking, what does that mean? That means we're in a parade. And I started thinking, what's about a parade? Well, there's happy people in a parade, right? Smiling people. So personally, I just think we should all travel with our own confetti. <laughs> maybe you should just keep some in your pocket. Because maybe you're in the middle, because who can frown when there's confetti going around? Right? So if you're in the middle of a storm in your marriage or in your challenge, and I'm certainly, as I shared with some of the women yesterday, this year has been the most difficult year in 31 years of ministry for me. And so I had to preach to myself. It's like, Holly, Jesus is leading the way, and whatever storm you're in the middle of, he's leading, and he will see you through it, so pull out your confetti. So I'm just saying, maybe you should just go, oh, this is really hard, but I'm just going to be happy about it. <laughs> you know, this is really challenging. I think I'll just... Oh, it's getting stuck. <laughs> so travel with confetti in the middle of the challenge and the storm. You know, Jesus had two responses to the storm. Cheer up and calm down. All right, the second thing in the middle of a storm that Paul did is he lightened the load. Acts 27 verse 18 says, as we were being dangerously tossed about by the violence of the storm, the next day they began to throw the freight overboard, and the third day they threw out with their own hands the ship's, uh, the ship's equipment, the tackle and the furniture. You know, just like the ships at different ports of call, we also take on baggage throughout this journey called life. And oftentimes we don't notice the stuff until the storm hits and then we have to deal with the baggage that we've taken on board. Can I suggest in the middle of a storm, wherever you might be having it, whether it's in your relationships or your job or your you know, family or your health, this is the time to start throwing stuff overboard, like bitterness. Do you know there are people on their deathbed complaining, bitter, unforgiving. Like, really? You're going to step into eternity with all that? Well, listen, this is the time to start throwing things overboard. You know, if you're in the middle of a storm and it's midnight, you start throwing off funky attitudes. You start forgiving people. For me, this last year, one of the, I, there were some situations in which I had to forgive people. And as I was sharing yesterday, I, forgiveness is a decision. You never feel like it. Ever. Ever. I mean, maybe you're holier than me, but I just, I never want, I never go, oh, you're so easy to forgive. No, I want to punch you in the face. <laughs> Right? I got a black belt in karate, okay? I can hurt people. So that's, my, that's what I would want to do. But see, Jesus tells me, I have been forgiven, so I have to forgive. So here I am this last year in the middle of serious waves crashing against my life. And God says to me, not only do I want you to forgive them, but I want you to act toward them like they are forgiven. Oh. You know that Jesus, he just pushes it. Right? <laughs> But I had to start, if, if my boat wasn't going to sink, if this storm wasn't going to overwhelm me, then I had to start getting rid of stuff, getting rid of any sense of unforgiveness. And then the third thing that Paul did is he's put down anchors. Acts 27, verse 29, it says, Then fearing that we might fall off our course under rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and kept wishing for daybreak to come. So they dropped anchors. 
I would like to suggest that midnight in the middle of a storm is not the time to set a new course. And sometimes the hardest thing to do is to just stand. This is not the time. If the waves are crashing against your life, this is not the time to decide to move somewhere, get a divorce, change churches, quit school, change careers, just drop anchors and hang on. You know, Philip and I, after that earthquake, we, we thought, gosh, you know, let's move somewhere else, like where the earth doesn't move. I mean, not Boston, because they get like a lot of snow, but, um, <laughs> but let's, somewhere like, you know, with hurricanes and tornadoes, you get like a warning, right? Let's move somewhere else. And so I, you know, I am embarrassed to tell you that we actually thought about this. And so we, then we went looking. We went somewhere in Texas and kind of walked the streets there going, they could use somebody here. We went somewhere in Colorado and yeah, how about a church here? And I think it was when we were walking around the city in Colorado that we looked at each other and went, what are we doing here? God didn't call us here. And where he called us, he'll lead us and protect us. So let's go home and don't tell anybody we ever did this. <laughs> but that's what we wanted to do. It got hard. It got scary. So we just wanted to try something else. And, and sometimes that's our nature. But don't do that. Just drop anchors and trust God. You know, there was this woman who came into our church and she was already in the middle of a divorce. And I said to her, I go, okay. So this is what's going on in your life right now. And she had young children. And I said, I'm really sorry. I know this is a really hard situation for you. And um, can I just make a few suggestions? She goes, yes. And I said, okay, um, here's the thing. This is going to be a storm that you're going to be going through right now. And your kids are going to be going through it with you. So can you try to keep everything else stable? So stay in church. Just stay right here. Stay right here so that that can be consistency for them and for you. Stay right here. If you don't have to change jobs, don't change jobs. If, you know, you don't have to change where you live, don't change where you live. Don't even change your hair, okay? Just stay. Well, what's interesting to me is how many people ask for help and then don't do it. But anyway, that's another story. That's a whole other message. Um, So she goes, okay. Well, within three weeks, I'm not even kidding you, she had totally cut her hair, dyed it a different color. She had left the church, you know, just gone. I'm like, okay, and then changed jobs, just like changed cars, changed, she just changed everything. I'm like, all right then. Well, then her life just kind of blew up again. So then about three years later, she comes back into church, you know, limping a little more this time. And I just loved on her. That's what we can do, love on people. Loved on her and go, okay, we'll try this again. So I'm just suggesting to you, in the middle of the storm, drop some anchors. Don't start trying to change everything. The fourth thing, don't leave the ship. Acts 27, verse 30 says, And as the sailors were trying to escape secretly from the ship and were lowering the small boat into the sea, pretending they were going to lay anchors out from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men remain in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes that held the small boat and let it fall and drift away. Okay, so what's happening is here is there are some sailors trying to escape. Now, why they thought they'd be more successful staying alive in that little small boat than they would the big boat, I don't know. But they're just panicking. And so they want to leave. They want to abandon the ship. And Paul said, you know what? Actually, if they do, then we're all in trouble. He put it a different way to the church at Corinth. He said in 2 Corinthians 6, he says, people are watching us as we stay at our post. 
He's saying, stay at your post. He says, people are watching us as we stay at our post, alertly, unswervingly, in hard times, tough times, bad times, when we're beaten up, jailed, and mobbed, working hard, working late, working without eating. He's saying, stay at your post. And I don't know what post you've been assigned to, but you have been assigned some. And so for me, one of the posts I've been assigned is wife. So when Philip makes me mad, and he does, I mean, no one makes me laugh more than him or makes me as mad as him either. So when he makes me mad and hurts my feelings, I can't just, you know, and then Mr. Universe walks by quoting Shakespeare. I can't just follow him home, right? No, because one of my posts is wife. And one of my posts is mother. So when, you know, my kids were driving me nuts, and you, they do, if you're a parent, you know it's true, um, you can't just abandon them or ship them to Siberia. <laughs> but let me just tell you, recently I spoke at a conference in Eastern Europe, and I met people from Siberia. So all I'm saying is, I have connections, so your threat, <laughs> it can be real, I'm just saying, okay? Anyway. But we don't, we don't ship up our kids because we stay at the post. And one of my posts is teachers. So although I'd love to play, because as you could tell, I'm the confetti throwing person. I'm the people, I'd love to be out play. I, believe it or not, I actually have to study the Bible, right? I have to stay, words just don't come out of here. I actually have to study them, do you know? So I have to stay committed to that post. One of my posts is pastor. So even when building the church is hard, and there were so many years when it was hard and in tough moments, I stay committed to that post. So what post have you been assigned? Stay there. Even in the military, you don't abandon a post until you've been relieved. So what post are you serving in, in church? Don't abandon that post. Is it going to get hard? Yes. Do you know why? Because God's molding and forming your character. Are you going to get offended? Yes. I hope you do. Because who we are comes out when we're offended. Right? And so whatever you are, there are going to be hard, challenging times at the post you've been assigned. And I promise you, if you stick it through then you will be stronger at the end of it. Don't abandon the ship. And the other point of this is that he says, because he was saying if they jump ship, then we're all in trouble. See, when you jump ship, when I jump ship, it actually affects the lives of everyone around me. And if we're not careful, the decisions we make during midnight can not only mess up our future, but the lives of other people. All right, the last one. Remember who's on the throne. Isaiah 43, 2 says, when you pass through the waters, the storm, I'll be with you. And Acts 27, verse 35, Paul said, he took some bread, he gave thanks to God in front of them all, and then he broke it and began to eat. So basically, here's the thing. They're hanging on for dear life, and Paul says, let's have communion. Let's remember who God is. And sometimes in the middle of the storm, <laughs> preach it, brother. In the middle of the storm, we have to remind ourselves that God is on the throne. See, sometimes we're so focused on survival that we forget to draw close to God. Here they were in the middle of a storm. It's dark. The waves are still raging. It is still scary. And then it says they became cheerful. Verse 35, the end of that verse says they made it communion with God and then they became cheerful. They didn't become cheerful because their circumstances changed. They hadn't changed. They just reminded themselves that God is God. And because they were reminded that God is on the throne, then they became cheerful. And the very end of that story, verse 44, 
44 says they all made it safely to land. So I don't know what situation or circumstance you might be in the middle of, but you probably are in the middle of one. And again, if it's not now for you, next month is your turn. But I'd like to suggest there are some very practical things that we talked about today, just that you can do in the middle of that storm so that you will reach your shore. You can renew your mind to the truth. You can start throwing off things that aren't important, that baggage that weighs you down. You can drop anchors, make a decision to stay on the ship, stay at your post, and then remind yourself that God is God. He's got you. He's got your back. He is God. Just remind yourself to take some moments to worship him, which is why we start every service with worship. It's not so, we're not singing until everybody gets here. <laughs> right? It's a moment to worship God. <laughs> I pastor church. I get it. <laughs> but really, it's designed to give all of us a chance to remind ourselves who God is. Because when we come in here, probably we've gone through a week. And so you just need a moment to remind yourselves who God is. So can I just encourage you, don't be late for that part. Be here to worship God. Because that will remind you who, who really is in charge of this. Maybe we could just bow our heads for just a moment. And close your eyes if you want to. Sometimes that's the best way to eliminate distractions. Especially for all the ADD people in the room. Just close your eyes. Just, we'll call this our sanctuary moment, if you will. Let's just be still. Life is so fast and busy, and let's just be still. I just want to pray for a few groups of people. And How many of you are in here and you're, the waves are crashing against your life at the moment? Whether it's in a relationship or finances or health, but you're, you know, you're in the middle of a storm. Will you just slip your hand up just so I could see it? And That's awesome. You can put them back down. Father, I saw those hands, and you, you see the, the situation. You know exactly what's going on. And God, I pray. I pray that you would intervene in these situations and in these circumstances. I pray that you would just flood their lives with your peace. I thank you, God, that your truth is bigger than any circumstance and situation. I thank you, Father. I thank you, Jesus, that just like the disciples in the middle of the storm when they were freaking out, they called on your name and you got in their boat. I thank you, Jesus, that you will get in the boats of these situations and these circumstances. Holy Spirit, I am grateful for your presence that the Bible tells us that you come alongside us in our moment of stress and trouble. So Holy Spirit, I ask right now that you would Invade these lives. Invade these homes. I thank you, God, that your plans will succeed in these families. The plans of the enemy will fail, and your plans succeed. I thank you, God, protect these homes. And God, I pray for this church. I thank you for the call and the purpose and the plans that you have for it here in this area. And I thank you that this truly will be a breathtaking place when people walk in. And now if you'll just keep your head bowed for just a moment. I don't know everybody in this room and I don't know what the spiritual condition of your life is like. 
Maybe you're in here and you've never actually surrendered your heart and your life to the one who loves you so much. Jesus gave his life for you on the cross, paying the price for every failure, every sin you ever have committed or will commit. Today, you can leave here free from guilt and shame and leave here walking in the knowledge that you've been created with a purpose. You can leave here today like that. So maybe there's some of you in here and you've never really surrendered your heart and your life to Jesus. Or maybe there's some of you in here and maybe at one point you did, but if you were honest, you'd have to say you kind of have one foot in and one foot out. You're just playing church. Maybe it's just you went to church because your mama said to, but it was never your decision. You never surrendered your heart and your life to Jesus. You're just kind of playing with it. One foot in, one foot out. Can I say these are not days for that? We need 100% following him. So maybe today is the day you just recommit your life to him. Go, you know what? I've made mistakes, but I'm ready to, ready to get back. And there's some of you in here, you're thinking, you know what? Once I get my life cleaned up, I'll, I'll come back to Jesus. You know, you can't clean your life up. Only he can. We like you just how you are. God loves you just how you are. You don't have to change a bit. You just have to make a decision and acknowledge your need for God. That's it. And so I'm going to pray. And if there are those of you in here, and for the first time, you need to begin a relationship with God. You need to make the decision to follow Jesus, the bold, courageous decision to follow him, then I want to pray for you. Or if there's some of you in here, and you know it's just time to get the spiritual side of your life right. It's time to come back to him, to reconnect with the God who loves you to get back on the path of following Jesus, then I want to pray for you. So I'm going to count to three, and I'm just going to ask you to put your hand up, and then you can put it back down just so I know who I'm praying for. So if you're in here and for the first time, you want to say yes to Jesus, or you know it's just time to get the spiritual side of your life right, quit messing around, then I want to pray for you. So just put your hand up. One, two, three. That's awesome. I see one, two, three, four, two, three, five, back in the back. Father, I see these hands, but really, God, you know... You know the situation of their life. You know their circumstances. You know their heart. And God, I thank you that they so boldly and courageously acknowledge their need for you. And I pray from this moment on that they would experience a love so genuine and so real. And church, why don't we just all pray this prayer out loud and I'm going to lead it and you can just repeat it after me. And those of you that raised your hands, you're mixing your, your passion with these words, your, your heart with these words. But let's all pray this out loud. Everybody say, Father, thank you for loving me and forgiving me. And from this moment on, I choose you. I surrender my heart and my life to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Way to go, family.